In today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilty Pleasures, we avoid talking about Ridge Forrester, who is Ron Moss and player. We talk about a song that scored low on the Yacht Rock scale, but is a Yacht Rock in everybody's hearts. And I arrive as someone who's just happy to be asked back, so I'm coming back on this episode. Bruce, come back! This is our take on Baby Come Back by Player. The term Yacht Rock is a 21st century invention. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about a band that I've only ever heard on Yacht Rock stations because the Niagara region and Buffalo and Hamilton and Toronto never played player while I was a kid. I don't remember ever hearing it in the 80s or the 90s on any of our soft rock stations. Yeah, the term Yacht Rock became common in what like 2004 or something like that yeah mid-2000s gained traction we'll we'll talk more about that history as well absolutely but the whole genre was just made up in retrospect that's right it was just sort of easy listening rock from the 70s and 80s so for today's episode we brought in a special guest who isn't somebody who only found out about this when the yacht rock kichi jokester stuff came out we brought in a man who is actually there for it who felt it, who I believe was in high school during this. That is correct. Welcome back, Bruce Soderholm, who lived Player's Baby Come Back. With the special guest, he brought a special drink for us to have. We're doing a Yacht Rock song, so what do you drink on yachts? But champagne. So we are drinking a Spanish knockoff version of champagne. (laughs) Talking about Player's Baby Come Back. Cheers to you. So actually, I was told that you're never supposed to clink glasses on a ship because it's bad luck. That makes a lot of sense because you can't predict what the next breaker will be that might cause some kind of... Uh, I'm guessing that's for safety purposes. No, I, I think it had to do something with the with the bells. The certain bells ring for certain crisis or, or whatever, and the sound of the glasses clinking resembles bells. Thanks for getting the resemble out of the way. I was coming back. Oh, come on. So uh, let's hope the Winchester doesn't sink tonight and that we're able to uh, make our podcast come back in future episodes. So, Player, band from the mid-70s, late-70s? I think they got together around 75, didn't they? So, 76 is when they were supposed to kind of uh, have started putting themselves together as a, as a band possibility. And then I think the actual recording of the first album took place in 77. And uh, the charting of it, at least the most successful charting of it, took place in early 78. Right. And this is a song that went to number one. And apparently the band 
didn't play live together until after they recorded the album. I heard that somewhere. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Bruce nods. He, you were there. He was <laughs> yeah. there. Okay. Yeah, they, he was in the band. <laughs> I said, guys, you really should be doing this. No, I was not there with them. <laughs> right. But you were there somewhere in Mississauga. So I was living in Oakville at the time, and uh, in 1977, 1978, I had just moved back to Ontario from uh, from Quebec, La Belle Provence, in Montreal, where I spent my formative years. And uh, so there I was in Oakville High School, starting to experience, you know, radio pop music, and uh, this song became prominent quickly. Did you have an experience where... You like somebody, and there might have been something that could have happened or did happen. That person left, and then you had this song to sing to yourself to help you cry yourself to sleep at night. You know, I was probably at that stage more in the uh, unrealized potential of relationships, much like I've heard you guys relate to on several (laughs) occasions. Okay, that's what we're talking about. These are the songs that you take in before you're even rejected, but you get to feel the rejection as a young child. Exactly. (laughs) It's psychologically healthy. Oh, absolutely, I think. So back to player. Back to player. Back to player. So we have, okay, we got our man from Liverpool. Peter Beckett. Peter Beckett. And then he meets J.C. Crowley, not to be confused with the Satanist. Alistair Crowley. That's right. So (laughs) J.C. Crowley. When you hear that anecdote of how they met, it sounds like, you know, they were... They were meant to be, right? They were the two misfits at the Hollywood party where everyone was dressed in suave and debonair, all white outfits, and they were there in their denims and uh, white t-shirts and uh, found each other and started to chat each other up and discovered their uh, musical cohesion. And so they end up writing this song together, I think, over a two-day, two-and-a-half-day period. Yeah, that sounds right. They've both lost somebody. Yeah, they both, Peter Beckett's marriage was failing. Yeah. And J.C. Crowley, I guess his uh, his best girl was uh, in the process of leaving him or j- had just left him. And then they end up meeting Ron Moss, Jeff Friesen, and the guy from Steppenwolf. Played on this song, joined in the second album. Wayne Cook, that's his name. So what I love about Ron Moss, the bass player, he was in one band that was just called Punk Rock. And who is in another band called Count Zeppelin and his fabled airship. Unreal. That's great band names. So you guys recall how Player got its name? No. No. <laughs> oh, well then I can then I can enlighten you. All right. So um, the members of uh, Player were sitting around with the producer in somebody's living room watching a black and white movie. And at the end of the film, the credits start to roll. And at the top of the scroll, um, because it was an old black and white film, it just said the players, like instead of cast. And so somebody said, hey, that could be a band name because they hadn't chosen their band name yet. Let's call ourselves the players. And somebody said, yeah, like the Eagles. But then somebody else said, well, it's not the Eagles. It's just Eagles. And then somebody else said, well, why not just player? And that was how they got their name. Because the band was, they're kind of formed of like a bunch of misfits, really. Session musicians kind of mishmashed together to create this band. There was no quote unquote rock star in the group, with the exception of Ron Moss. He's just a beefcake. He's a very good looking man. <laughs> He's an attractive man. I mean, he was on his soap opera for 25 years. Oh, it's incredible. Still looks good. We, we're going to talk about that later, though. Yeah. Okay. 
now let's uh i feel we're going a lot of different places i think it's because ridge forester is so attractive to me that i can't focus ronnie moss's character oh my no no, ridge forester is ron moss yeah and ron moss is okay yeah okay let that go bruce i also want to point out that that is the most stereotypical soap opera name in history next to ron moss (laughs) forester yeah yes he is unreal yeah so bruce could you help bring us back how did this song actually end up propelling the band to start up and actually this song is the whole reason the band was able to be signed in the first place. Yeah, rain in these scattered cats that we have out there. Yeah, the um, the writing session that produced you know a number of songs that would appear on the on the initial album, they were brought to some record executives and um, the band members who were kind of in that formative stage played a number of songs for them, and the guys behind the desk were nodding and kind of basically grooving along saying, yeah, there's some potential here. But when they played Baby Came Back, Baby Come Back. Yeah, your Baby (laughs) Came Back implies that she comes back. (laughs) That was the sequel song, which never got got recorded. (laughs) When they played Baby Come Back for the first time for the record executives, Peter Beckett describes the reaction as... Eyes widening, jaws unhinging, and then the next thing they said was, this could be a really big hit. So they kind of knew, even though you never know until you know. It's funny how these executives that kind of manipulate and manage music and what gets played on the radio and how things are trending and whatnot know when a song is going to be a hit, right? No, it is it is amazing, and and that makes sense. That um, unless you're being tongue in cheek here, um, I can barely get my words out because my tongue was in my cheek so far. Were you describing Rob Lowe from Wayne's World too? Yes. Was okay? <laughs> <laughs> like any business, you know, you get to know the business, you get to know the market, you get to know what sells well. Of course, there's, you know, an expertise that comes along, but pop music is also filled with the outliers, Yes, the, the songs that defy, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, probably the ultimate example of that, of, of a song that could not be imagined to be, you know, radio airplay uh, for what it was, but yeah, so... Um, <laughs> There should be some people who recognize that stuff. We recently did episodes on Timmy T and Stevie B, both songs that had no business going to number one, but did. The little trains that could. Yes. But Player is a giant steam engine that would. I would say it was more of a uh, steam ship. Oh, right. Well, okay, well, that's a pretty good transition. Okay, right now I'm thinking of like a riverboat gambler with the the big paddle wheel on the back. This is Huck Finn and... uh, And Jim are going to go get on it. Yeah. Okay. Frank, could you look up for me the definition of smooth music? It would be music. Or do you just know it? Yeah. It would be music without edges. (laughs) Fair enough. Bruce, do you know what smooth music is? When people say music is smooth, what does that mean? To be honest, I'm much more comfortable talking about smoothness as a characteristic of wine. But I imagine that if it's smooth music, it's not going to be harsh or discordant or melted dissonant butter. melted butter that's right so apparently 
the idea of yacht rock is it's all smooth music, but it's in, unoffensive. Unoffensive, but it's particular. Yeah. So it was invented by J.D. Risner out of L.A. and his friends. And I'm sorry for not naming those friends, but we got a time limit here. They started a, a little lark called Yacht Rock. So it was at this bar called, I think, Channel 101, where they posted these videos. And they created a thing called a Yacht Rock. And in those videos, they talked about smooth music that was Yacht Rock. And it had to come out of L.A., it had to be certain session musicians who were well-known around L.A. who most likely played with Steely Dan at some point from <laughs> 1976 to 1982 or 1984. Yeah, okay. And this is the definition of Yacht Rock according to these guys. However, it took on its own life because people loved this series, this web series, and we'll put a post to the series in the show yeah. notes. It took off, and so people started to just talk about what's Yacht Rock. And they started putting in all these songs. And these guys were like, no, no, that's not Yacht Rock. That's from a different country. That can't be Yacht Rock. It has to have these session musicians. I was on a Facebook group for Yacht Rock. And wow, you'd think it was Twitter because how mean they were to each other. <laughs> but uh, there's Yacht and Niat. Oh, I saw that chart. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a whole thing here. So the guys who made Yacht Rock actually had a Beyond Yacht Rock podcast where they featured player on it. Oh, really? And asked if it was Yacht or Nyat. And it just kind of passed. It got like a 60 or 58.5 on the Yacht scale. So it is, to them, Yacht Rock. Yeah. Because it comes out of LA. Michael Omartian, now we're pronouncing it right for the first time here on our podcast, Played synthesizers on the album, not the song, and it has that sort of smooth quality. Wasn't he the guy on the Looney Tunes? Uh, that's Mel Blanc. Or you're no, the thinking of, you're thinking <laughs> about <laughs> that makes me angry, very angry indeed. I mean, his last name might resemble Martian, but it's Omartian. Frank. Gotcha. Okay. okay, I remember and. Bill, you'll remember this because you were there. Bruce, you won't because you weren't. But I was on a houseboat weekend with a bunch of my friends, Bill included, and our friends, well, Dave Kitchen and Eric Stewart, who have both hosted episodes on this podcast. And Bill was in charge of the playlist. And we had nothing but yacht rock. And after about, I think, the first hour and a half, we all kind of wanted to hurt you. You guys were the worst. I worked so hard on that playlist. And the boat was so disappointing because it didn't have the system it needed to. Because Yacht Rock needs FM stereo. FM, of course, that's a bit of a Steely Dan That joke is there. a very yeah. good reference. <laughs> but it needed to have full surround sound. But next time I'll be bringing a full system. Hopefully I'll bring actual players. So, Bill, when you looked at the uh, Yacht or Nyacht listing... Was were, were there any um, names that surprised you or caught your attention? So Niat included that. What's that one? It's actually saxophone, ready? Uh, Baker Street. Baker Street. Oh, okay. oh really? Nyat Jerry Rafferty. Oh, they really? say Niat, yeah, and then also um, like ten. Also, that was an amazing. It's saxophone. an amazing song. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> And then 10CC is kind of there, but because they're from England, there's this sort of sense that they're not L.A. session musicians. But then there's other people who say that's unfair. If they're emulating the L.A. session musicians, it should be Yacht Rock. Sade 
was determined to be Niat, 49.5 on the yacht scale. So they got a narrow Niat, but they're also referred to as the fire keepers. <laughs> so that yacht still somehow lives within them despite being Niat, that they've been able to carry on the yacht. And of course, uh, 100 on the yacht scale is, um, I keep forgetting, by Michael McDonald. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, um what a fool believes. Either yeah. either two. I think Mike McDonald, Kenny Loggins are in, yeah, in the 95. Yeah, they are definitely zone. up in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blew my mind to see Benny Hester on that list. Do you know Benny Hester? CCM, early 80s. Oh, Seriously. Oh, some Christian yacht. Yeah. Christians, oh, wow. Christians aren't supposed to be on yachts. They're supposed to be on fishermen boats. <laughs> yeah. Right, am I right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not right. We got uh, our, our Christian socialists who uh, listen to us are not going to be happy about Christians on yachts. So now that we've established the yachts, maybe some of the yachts, let's talk smooth. Let's talk that first 40 seconds of this song. Oh my goodness. Oh, for sure. That bass just going for a walk. Oh my goodness. So I have written here bass forward and a bit of keys. Yeah. Take us for the first 26 seconds about. I mean, there's other things that come in. But then that hook comes in at 26 seconds. That guitar hook. Yeah. I felt like I needed to say it was a guitar hook. Is that... No, that makes sense. Yeah. It is a yacht hook. Benny Hester gets what I'm talking about. <laughs> I wish I knew my musical terms better, but I have tapping the drums. That's not it. What are the things you tap? Bongos? Are they bongos? Bongos? Bongos. <laughs> Did you hear them at the beginning of the song? Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's kind of... Um, it could be it's, the floor it's, toms. It's kind of riding a hi-hat, hi-hat, isn't it? Oh, you guys keep using these big words. No, toms is a four-letter word. Okay, well, you keep using these big definitions of words I don't understand. Now you okay. know how I feel every every single episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so he rides the big toms, the high toms. No, a hi-hat is a symbol, but a floor tom is that, I think that's what you're referring to play this song oh yeah there is a little bongo in there it sounds like is that bongos or congas? It well, sounds like is a, it congas if it's or congas, bongos? it's it's quite subtle. Could you could I play that again? It's, it's congas. Tough. I'm looking at the Wikipedia. It's congas. It's oh. very very subtle. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A lot of subtleties going on here. Yeah. yeah. Good, yeah. Well, good, that's what yacht good rock is, is is full of is subtleties. Hundred and some odd episodes in, I start to listen real close, <laughs> and I mean, this makes it the yachtiness of it because you can kind of appreciate what they're doing in the studio. Yeah, they take it seriously, much like the sea. If you're on the on a yacht, you have to take the sea seriously. The sea is a harsh mistress. Something that I noticed pretty quickly in the intro was the electric piano and uh, the Fender Rhodes is legendary certainly in the 1970s um, believe it or not I was part of my high school stage band and played the Fender Rhodes 
in a few different gigs. And it's just such a distinctive sound. I love it. Whenever I hear it, it just transports me back to a great place and time. I like to think of you as a grade eight student, mostly getting it right, the Fender Rhodes, but tears streaming down your eyes as you're playing Baby Come Back and looking at <laughs> Linda over there, who's not even looking back at you. No, the real pressure was having to uh, you know, to improvise because you're in a jazz band oh, and, then oh, you, no. and then you get a solo moment and uh, you're playing String of Pearls and uh, that's, that's pressure. Don't worry, no jazz here. Yeah, we don't understand jazz. But I, mean, I think we do it. Well, our podcast is like jazz. It's like freeform jazz. Yeah. Because that's just making it up as you go along, right? That's what all it is. Ash is going to love that. Definition. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's so technical. <laughs> yeah. That's great, Frank. <laughs> all right, let's jump into verse one. Spending all my nights, all my money, going out on the town. It's really hard for you not to sing that, isn't it? It is. Oh, my goodness. Doing anything just to get you off my mind. But when the morning comes, I'm right back where I started again. And trying to forget you is just a waste of time. So hard not to just say, baby, come back. I know, right? But yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Spending all my nights, all my money going out on the town. Doing anything just to get you off of my mind. Back where I started again And trying to forget you was just a waste of time Baby, come back I'm reading this And I think that getting over someone Or trying to get over someone Would be very difficult for the financially prudent That's I, like, and I, I just did the budget for our household <laughs> Um I think this is the technical term for where my budget's at, crisis. <laughs> but uh, Just print more money. Yeah, exactly. But spending all my nights, all my money, and I just looked at him like, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. It's hard to get that back. Yeah. And interest, it's a lot of money to pay back yeah. interest. The money doesn't come back, just like the baby. All right, I guess we're going to have to go there, even though we didn't get to go through even this first verse. Well, let's go through the first verse. Okay. I'm sorry. Right, so it, and it does illustrate, if you're trying to make a case that this is a profound event that you've experienced, then the commensurate kind of response also has to be on the other end of the continuum. So if the loss is that big, then you're trying to counterbalance. Okay, this isn't a physics discussion. Well, I think I it is. I didn't understand a thing he said. Well, I think it's like you lose your love, so lose your money. I don't know. See, this is going to be a shock again, I know. But I have tried to get over and have, I believe, successfully get over girls in the past. And my rationale is not going out and spending money. Mine is just to wallow in my own self-pity, which I think is really healthy. Fetal position is a lot cheaper than just going to karaoke bars and singing this song. Exactly. So the key thing is, is you want to distract yourself from your pain. So is that easier in the fetal position? I guess for some others, it's more easily accomplished by having loud music and several shots in you. Oh, no, I want to embrace the pain. I just want to feel everything. And by feeling everything it goes away eventually, right? Or no, you numb yourself to it. And that makes you a healthy individual. 
Bruce and I are going to stay silent while you work this out. <laughs> I still think I'm getting through about four or five different girls that I haven't gotten so. over. That's called compound interest, Frank. We're back to finance. <laughs> what I like about this verse is that in the morning is when he feels even worse. Like usually in songs, it's at the nighttime they miss their lovers. Yeah. But in his case, it's in the morning. It's the breakup hangover. Well, and it's also the moment where the distraction is gone. Yeah. The music, the drinks, everything else. Now you're just left with you and the bathroom mirror and the empty toothbrush holder. I just got really sad again. Thanks, Bruce. This is why you get that toothbrush when the dentist offers you it. Even (laughs) though you have it, you put it there. Just like you put the stuffed animals around the dining room table (laughs) to make it seem like you have a, you know, everyone's there. Where are we at right now? We kind of got through the first verse. We did, okay. Uh, all right. The uh, chorus is just... Uh, well, that's what everyone knows. Oh, my goodness. So, And it's like people joke about it in one way, but in another way, they, they feel it. Oh, yeah. They joke about it, but they love it. Baby, come back. Any kind of fool could see there was something in everything about you. Baby, come back. You can blame it all on me. I was wrong, and I just can't live without you. Baby, come back. Any kind of folk could see There was something in everything about you Baby, come back. You can blame it all on me I was wrong, and I just can't I have written down here because the whole co- the chorus is sung with uh, Peter Beckett and backup singers. So you you get that sort of uh, the gang vocals on it. Three uh, three part harmony. Yeah, three Crosby, part stills Nash style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's huge. That is the linchpin of this song, actually. Mm-hmm. And I have written here chorus of loneliness. Oh wow, Frank, you are hitting the profound homers. I am a very profound person, ladies who want to date me and want me to get over them later. But it's it's everyone there and they're all experiencing this pain, right? And they're all experiencing this loneliness. So they're commiserating together. You know, misery loves company, that whole kind of a thing. Yeah. Oh, it's perfect. No, yeah, you got it. I'm going to stop talking for the rest of the podcast because I hit perfection. There's so many lines I like in it. And I have written here, I was going to say this for the second verse, but I'm going to say it now. It's a song that captures like the emotions of things without too much cliche, despite all the sort of content of it being sort of stereotypical cliche material. Yes. So it's like a fool, which is a key thing to Yacht Rock. (laughs) This is how it got its Yacht Rock status by the guys from Yacht Rock. They say, well, they did talk about fools. Okay, Yacht Rock. But they got baby come back, fool could see, something, everything, blaming on me. There's all these things there. But somehow the way they sing it and write it down feels unique and super vulnerable. Yes. Does that sound fair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Bruce. I agreed with you, too. (laughs) So 
when I heard this song, I think originally for, for years and years, I think I heard the second line of the chorus as there was something and everything about you. And I never thought too much about how that doesn't make a lot of sense. And then as I looked more closely and saw there was something in everything about you, that made more sense. But I feel like there's still even one more subtle distinction to make. I feel like the word everything should be split into two words. Because then it makes more sense that there was something in everything about you. So what is important is spread throughout the personality and the totality of this love interest. Uh, there was something in every single thing about you. I really like that line too, though. And I always read it and understood it the same way that you're explaining it, I think. It's perfect. And the word something and everything is used a lot, but to bring them together and to think about how they connect. Yeah, because they're both kind of ambiguous, right? Yeah. They're all-encompassing. There's something just like that's not very specific in everything. That's not specific at all. But it's the grand sort of feel of it. Right, right. I also like that by the end, he's like, just come back. You can blame it all on me. Yeah. Okay, just blame so, everything on me. Like, I don't know what I did, but it's all <laughs> <Yeah>. my fault. <laughs> Which means if you're everything to everyone, you're nothing to no one. Yeah. And if you take all the blame without knowing what you did, <laughs> I'll take all the blame. I was wrong. Yeah. Because I can't can't live without you. It's like, oh, no, no, no. You need to be specific. Like, I, I don't handle money well, or I I don't listen to you when you talk. Here Here's a hot tip. That never works. Just accepting all the blame and not specifically understanding anything that you did wrong, just that all-encompassing sort of, again, ambiguity of it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a good play. It's a, it's a carte blanche that is potentially dangerous because you may end up being responsible for the downfall of certain democracies, the invasion of Poland. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. it could be any number of things that you end up having to pay for because you said, blame it all on me. Okay, on to verse two here. All day long, wearing a mask of false bravado, trying to keep a smile that hides a tear. But as the sun goes down, I get that empty feeling again. How I wish to God that you were here. All day long, wearing a mask of false bravado, trying to keep up a smile that hides a tear. But as the sun goes down, I get that empty feeling again. How I wish to God that you were here. I want to point out that that was probably the first and only time the term false bravado has ever been used in a song. And anyone who uses the term false bravado has no bravado. Yeah. Right? The, just the fact that you know the word bravado means you're not able to put up a false bravado. Like, I can't think of a time where anybody actually refers to bravado unless it's false. That's right. That's yeah. Right. That guy's got real bravado. Yeah, it's just, it right. just doesn't happen. You only have false bravado. But there's an interesting thing that happens in this verse versus the first verse. Because the first verse, he's going out all night and everything comes back in the morning. Like when he wakes up and he realizes he's still alone. Like I wake up every morning. But in this verse, the, the line is, 
But as the sun goes down, I get that empty feeling again. So is he always empty? Is he always feeling empty? And he's just not acknowledging it? This verse is the morning to the evening. And it's just as bad, yeah. if not worse. So right? he, he thinks that he's he's over it, but he's not. So all the things that he's doing to try and mask his feelings, it's all false bravado. What I love is that final line. Yes. Because it just jumps out of nowhere. It doesn't feel like it should be part of a song. How I wish to God that you were here. I feel like the songs before this didn't have lines like this that suddenly jump out like this yeah where he feels like he's i feel like he's breaking out of this sort of poetic mode it's just like oh how i wish to god you were here and the way that it's sung i just have a word beside the lyric and it's just earnestness well that's certainly being frank about your feelings and earnest i guess in that in that sense are we talking about Ernest Goes to Camp again? Because I could talk about that movie all day. <laughs> Baby, come back. You can blame it all on me. I was wrong, and I just can't live without you. We got to talk about that guitar to synth. Yes. And then it hits to that bridge. Now, when I say bridge, you know what I think of? Ridge Forrester. <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that yet, are we? Because he's the bass player. He's the bass player. And what a bass. Yeah. But uh, we'll talk about Ridge Forrester later. It, it, he is bold oh, and, and also beautiful. He is. He's got huge muscles. Told you. Total beefcake. <laughs> all right. So here it is. Now that I put it all together, oh, give me the chance to make you see... Have you used up all the love in your heart? <laughs> Which is a great line. <laughs> nothing left for me? Ain't nothing left for me. <laughs> Do you want me to read that again, Frank? Is that, does that work? No, that works. Quick quiz here. What what famous duo was Peter Beckett trying to emulate there? Hall and Oates? No. Abbott and Costello? <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel. You're getting closer. <laughs> um, I'll give you a hint. Stan and Ollie. Not Marcel Marceau and... No. Uh, they hate each other, although somehow... Sonny and Cher. Uh, no. <laughs> Nope, that's not true. Okay, let's try a different one. Rhymes with Brighteous. Oh, oh the Isley Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the Righteous Brothers. brothers. You know, uh, what is that? You've lost that loving feeling? You've lost they, that loving feeling. Yeah, and so, well, they've lost. She lost that loving feeling. Yeah. And now it's gone. 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 Just gone. It wasn't little Latin loopy Lou you're thinking about? It's a Righteous Brothers song. 
<laughs> well, that's a deep cut. Okay. So, so, uh, Frank, your melody's unchained. Yeah. Okay. You too. <laughs> All right. Okay. What I love is like it. It's totally not the Righteous Brothers because they hit their notes, but this does hit a note. It's just so yeah. ridiculous. But he still can sing this high note. Oh, okay. Still now, and now at whatever age he is, seventy something, he's killing it. And so, just back to whatever he's trying to say here. Now that I've put it all together, like, well, what did you put together? Right? Yeah, I, I put know, it all right? together. I was wrong. Right? Yeah. Give me a chance to make you see. Right? We don't know what it's to see. Now, you'd think the next line would be, here's what he's figured out. He just says to her, have you used up all the love in your heart? And there's nothing left for me? Nothing left for me? Like, no, there is nothing left for you because you didn't tell her what you figured out. Exactly. He just said, you can blame it all on me. It's like, it doesn't matter what was wrong. It's like, it's all it's all my fault. I'll just, I'll just accept it. And that's it. So I, w- I would like to point out from a, a therapeutic point of view that <laughs> there is a certain kind of assumption being made when you say, now that I put it all together, wait a minute, isn't that for the other person to figure out whether yeah. you've put it together or not? Like, yeah. can like, you just self-proclaim, I've got it all together now. Oh, of course. Now listen, you can. Yeah, listen, let me tell you, I have this all sorted out. I know exactly what's going on. I love the mansplaining yeah. that happens midway through where we know they're doomed, right? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and maybe that explains Tom Bryhan's take on this. And Frank and I have agreed not to talk about Tom Bryhan, but well, I'm going to break it. Talk about him about a little less. I okay, we fanboy about him a lot, and he sounds like a really cool dude. But... Yeah, and we love you, Tom Bryhan, but we're not going to fanboy. Oh, we love you so so much. <laughs> so, um. And and if if I'm also pointing out, I think some flaws in his logic here. Um, give me the chance to make you see, allow you to see uh, the opportunity to see. No, we're gonna make you see. Like, does this not sound prescriptive, coercive? Like, this is not how you win someone back by saying, "Hey, I've got it all together now, and I'm gonna make you see that." So many mistakes, so many mistakes made here. And as our friend Tom Bryhan said, that Baby Come Back is a slick, catchy song that doesn't sound even remotely emotional. <laughs> the members of Player don't sound like regretful ex-boyfriends. They sound like sort of scumbaggy ex-boyfriends who are performing their own regret and not doing it all that convincingly. He's not wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong. I love this song. But that's such a... Awesome yeah. takedown. Yeah. I got to give him props. Absolutely. So just to play the devil's advocate just a little bit, because, I mean, certainly he's alluding to the fact that the whole stylistic sensibility of the song and the smoothness, you know, there there isn't a rawness here that reflects in the music the rawness of the speaker's feelings. Um, but wasn't it your... Um, former guest rich turfry who always says hey give me a sad song that i can dance to right there's something to having this juxtaposition of maybe what's going on in the sensibility of emotion and maybe awkward feeling can still be counterpointed with an interesting musical idea that explains that killer guitar riff for the last 48 seconds. Oh, yeah. 
I, I got to put this out there as well. Now that we've talked about the outro, is um, can you imagine Rich Forrester losing a girl? No, 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 He's, no, no, no. Rich Forrester doesn't lose girls. No, Rich Forrester gets whatever he wants. But Rich Forrester is a decent dude, from what I recall from the three years of Bold and the Beautiful I watched because my sister made me watch it, <laughs> even when she wasn't around. Wow, you got yeah. firsthand experience. I did not realize that. Before we get into talking about Ridge Forrester yeah. even more. We're not going to talk about him yet, but go on. We're not going to talk about him yet, but let's talk about Ridge. Um, the outro, what I have written down for it is, it's the closing arguments. So he's made his case, baby come back, blame it all on me. Like, he, he's made uh, an unconvincing argument. But the outro, because it's just so slick and it's so cool. Yeah. If he's going to win her back, it's going to be with this slick, cool outro. Because musically, it just, everything just sounds so awesome. I was wrong and I just can't. Anything more to say? Should we move on to talking about other stuff? We're not going to talk about Ridge Forrester no. yet. But. We don't need to talk about Ridge Forrester yet, but watching that video, and I don't know, I know, Frank, you might not have seen the video as much as I did, but there's a moment in the video where you see all the guys playing, and then you say, oh my God, that's Ridge Forrester. He's so attractive. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so you see all the guys playing? It's a great video. And especially for 1977, 78, mm-hmm. you know, our birth year is 77. Yeah. And um, you're watching this, and it's just a promo video. But these promo videos were the things they used on MTV to kind of fill space. And it is one of the better sort of um, promo videos for okay. a band. Because you have Ridge Forrester in there, and he's so good looking. <laughs> and you see all the other guys playing. So you got the piano player. You got... Peter Beckett playing, and they show all of them. And then every once in a while, you see the other guy playing the synthesizers. I don't know if you've seen this, but he's kind of got both hands on the, on, working on whatever he's if, got in front of him. If you can, if you are here in the Winchester right now, Bill's basically he's octopusing what uh, what he well, yeah. he thinks the synthesizers. I'm doing my old was... Wayne Cook imitation. Yeah. Well, he's the the wicky wacky guy in front of oh, the, the used in, car. Inflatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill was just rocking that. Yeah, it is a great video. Of course, you'll see it in the show notes. Yes. So this is the thing when you see when you see the persona of Rich Forrester, right? Um, he and I'm sorry, it's just such a stereotype. He absolutely looks like the only thing he should be doing is starring in a daytime drama. Like, he's got the face and the look that is completely lined up with with soap operas. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember I had this experience at TIFF one year where uh, I was watching this Norwegian film... And uh, sounds it, depressing. Yeah, no, no, it was fun. It actually was. It was kind of like that Scandi noir genre, if you uh, if you like that kind of uh, reading material. But anyway, um, and I saw this guy from behind. I said, 
oh, that guy is just too good looking to be anything other than a professional actor. And, and I couldn't see close up who it was yet. And then sure enough, as I got closer... It was, was Clint just Howard, wasn't no, it? No, was, it was Niccolo Coster-Waldo. Oh. So Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Like, And he's just this like really good-looking guy. Did either of you two see the General Hospital episode? Yes! I saw the clip of it. Did you see the clip? It yeah. is so good. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it's 2014, and you have these two kids dancing with each other, Right. And they're doing, I don't know, something that impresses the audience. Now, I'm not a big General Hospital fan because I watch Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful. I don't watch General Hospital. No. It's not my thing. That's okay. poor man's it's soap ridiculous. Operas. But what if they had, like, wrestling guests on it? What? Oh, well, then, of course, I'd watch it. <laughs> I'm just a man, Bruce. But, <laughs> but in 2014, you got these kids dancing. And then all the characters are watching, and you're wondering what's going on with them. And then this other kid comes out, and he stops it. And he says, here's Player. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. Now, for me, as someone who grew up in Niagara in the 80s and 90s, Player was never played. It only got played after Yacht Rock started. Yeah. I feel like there's a whole genre of music that went to number one in the 70s that was completely ignored through the 80s and 90s. And then Player was found again. But they acted like on General Hospital because it's fake, like they all knew it. And so they come out and they play. And uh, all the characters look at each other in these weird ways. So you've watched this clip. It's like classic soap operas. Yeah. And, and one of the people leave. I want to call her Susan Lucci. Sure. But I don't know. She might not have been General Hospital, but I know that's a character. So at the end of this, the kid says to the uh, boy and girl who are dancing, he says, I had to do something bold and beautiful. (laughs) I get it. Just a little on the nose. Yeah, a little on the nose to win the girl back. And so the girl who was dancing with the other guy wanted to hear the band. And so this other kid was winning him back. But it felt really weird watching kids fight over themselves on soap operas because soap operas always seem sinful to me yeah it it was it was a little reprehensible to see these how old would these kids be in this uh, scene they were younger than what benny mardonas would even sing about (laughs) (laughs) but they they were just mirroring adult behavior like i want to go now no i think i want to stay and it was just clear this kind yeah. of competition and at the end of that clip which i thought it was perfect as one of the susan lucci type characters looks very upset and she leaves walks away from oh, the yeah. table and then the guy in the tux gets up and follows her and he's looking out the door she goes and that's the moment where of course he should have been saying baby come back i know it's the worst all right i know we're already there can we jump into more categories sure yeah okay all right thanks frank um, I'll allow this. You two got Hallmark movies for me, don't you? No, but I'm making one up as I think about it right now. Okay. I think Bruce has one. Okay. So in the Hallmark movie that I imagine happening here, the the, char- the main character who's kind of the guy who would be singing this song, he's, he's a local kind of blue-collar guy. And, um, you know, truthfully, he was very insensitive, and he took his baby for granted. Um, 
he was prioritizing friends and his drinking buddies. And he fails to show up for her film award ceremony because she's a, a film school student. And because, you know, there was a competing tractor pull competition. And for her, that was the last straw. And she decides, that's it. I'm going to Hollywood to make my way. And then realizing he's lost or he follows her to Hollywood, to Los Angeles, and he tries to find her. And that's where you get you know, the whole first verse here, going out on the town, but he, he can never find her. And so then he decides he has to come back to the rural village where he lives and that they both come from. And in that setting, he decides that he can be a better person. And uh, so he posts a TikTok video showing his artisan collection of hand-carved film icons. And then she sees the TikTok and she's so touched and skeptical but she comes back home and there he is sanding a boat hull even though it's 300 miles from any body of water and she realizes that this is the guy that she needs to be with sort of like the ending of uh, Shawshank Redemption wow that was incredible you not only combined Hallmark with a kind of Jungian analysis of the hero's journey does that sound right or is that did Young talk about yeah, history? Sure. Was that Joseph? Uh, sure. Was yeah. that Joseph, Joseph Campbell? Uh, Joseph Campbell. Okay, Frank, you have a Hallmark movie too. Mine Challenge was, is on. Mine was almost exactly like Bruce's. So it's high school sweethearts who go to local state university in Vermont. He majors in agriculture. She majors in theater arts. They move in together, small town. She gets noticed at a local theater goes to the big city broadway while he's toiling away in his garden or whatever it is that agriculture people do and they they separate because he's not supportive of her goals because he's just like but baby the radishes and she's like no i'm going to broadway she goes to Broadway, but she has such a terrible time. She doesn't fit in. She's, it's just mean and toxic. And then he's singing. You know, they, they've kind of gone their separate ways, but over the course of a number of years, they reconnect via social media, maybe the Faces book, maybe the Instagrams. And it's basically... I'm having such a hard time here. Baby, come back. You know, it was all my fault. The radishes aren't important anymore, but you are. And then she comes back and then they're married and player plays at the wedding. Wow. That's a great, wow. You know, uh, I'm not going to even propose a Hallmark movie because those two are going straight to development hell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question. Can Michael Bolton say yes? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Here's my Michael Bolton fantasy. This one is just him singing. Okay. This is... (laughs) (laughs) So Michael Bolton needs a full guilt-free pleasure band with him. Yeah. So Michael Bolton doesn't just sing it. He needs to have Rod Stewart. He needs to have Peter Cetera, because Peter Cetera can play bass and sing. That's right. And he needs Kenny G to just wail on the horns. Yes. And you know what he needs? Ridge Forrester, just to stand there, possibly just like yeah, cause flexing. Because Peter Cetera's on the bass. So what's the length of Michael Bolton's hair at this moment? 
Oh, it's full Bolton. He's double denim, full Bolton. It'll get super long the more he sings. Yeah. Well, it's like that Play-Doh thing with the where you just press down the lever and the hair grows. Yes. <laughs> full Bolton, full power. Yeah. Okay. Let me give you the Billboard Top 10. Yeah, let's hear this. The, now, You're I think excited was, about this. It was number one for three or four weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks. Okay. Yeah. So here's one of the weeks. Number 10, Love is Thicker Than Water, Andy Gibb. Number nine, Just the Way You Are, Billy Joel. Oh. That's nine. That's the, the Casio keyboard uh, yes, setting. Yes, yes. Eight, Come Sail Away, Sticks. Oh, nice. Seven, How Deep Is Your Love, which was previously number one. Okay. By the Bee Gees. By Take That. Bee Gees. Oh. Next, we are the champions, Queen. Wow. And this is crazy. I didn't even realize this was in 78. Slip Sliding Away, Paul okay. Simon. Oh, Simon. Oh, nice. You're in my heart, Rod Stewart. Oh, yes, please. Staying Alive, Bee Gees. Rise in the charts, looking at player and saying, not for long. Number two, Short People, Randy Newman. <laughs> ah. hey. That's the outlier of the oh, top man. ten. Baby Come Back, number one. Yep. There you go. There's That's fantastic. Ten. That's a yeah. great top ten. And you get a sense, like we talked about 1984 being the greatest year in music, but just hearing that top 10 is like, oh my goodness. Yeah, there, there's so many great years in music. Yeah. It's time that we do the mixtape. Guests first. So I had to give my, my mixtape uh, a title. Mea culpa at the Culpa Cabana. <laughs> Select songs of self-recrimination and regret from the 70s and 80s. So I have to give uh, a shout out to an anachronistic forerunner with pride of place to the animals, 1964, House of the Rising Sun, followed by River, Joni Mitchell, 1971, Dirty Work, Steely Dan, 1972, and referencing the title, Mandy by Barry Manilow in 1974. What a song. And then, of course, you have to include Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, 1977. And then I could have gone two ways with this one, but you were always on my mind. I'm going to go with the Willie Nelson 1982 take and finish it off with Mike and the Mechanics in 1988 with The Living Years. Nice. Oh, Good call. Oh, oh wow. Okay. That's a great mixtape. Pressure's on. That's I know, right? why we go to Frank. Let's do it. All right. The theme, similar. Loneliness and heartache. Oh. I know. So this is, this is my most upbeat uh, mixtape ever. So I start with Only the Lonely by Rory Orbison. Mm-hmm. Unbreak My Heart, Tony Braxton. Nothing Compares to You, Sinead O'Connor. So Tired of Being Alone, Al Green. Back for Good, Take That. And then I'm flip-flopping over the ender. The setup for the ender will be Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely by the Backstreet Boys and finishing it all off with All By Myself, Eric Carmen. Long version? The yes. seven minute version. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, here's mine. Maybe I won't tell you the theme. I'll just tell you the songs and you tell me if you figure it out at the end. I don't want you jumping in, Frank, too early. Okay, first one. Baby Come to Me. Pandy Austin, James Ingram. Is it about babies? 
Nope, but that's the first song. Next one is Even a Fool Can See by Peter Cetera. Then, Something's Always Wrong by a little band called Toad the Wet Sprocket. Nice. Then I good have... Good That's thank a you. deep track. Thank you. Oh. It's a good song. It's a Very great good song. song. Then I have You Are Everything by the Stylistics. Next, from one of the greatest Canadian albums of all time, Gordon by the Bare Naked Ladies, Blame It On Me, deep track. And finally, Nelson, Can't Live Without Your Love and Affection. Do you see what I did there? Do you want me to tell you? Please. I just took the lyrics of the chorus and picked songs that said the same thing. Oh, okay. It's a really messy mixtape. So it's not about <laughs> babies? No. No. Um, did you hear about the Yacht Rock Wine Zone? Which was the yes. Baby Come Back Bubbly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But did you hear Peter Beckett talk about other wines? Yeah, I uh, I didn't write them down, but I like to think that Bruce did. Yes, no, because I think these are just, these are classic kind of dad joke pun wine labels. Right? Okay. Like, and how could you not love Baby Come Back Bubbly, which is, of course, what we started off uh, the evening with. But uh, Rob Dupree... Steal Away Chardonnay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, the Al Stewart Year of the Cab. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> and Cabernet yeah, yeah, yeah. Sauvignon. And this one is a little bit of a stretch, but it is so Yacht Rock. Michael McDonald, What a Fool Believes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the money. For all you Zinfandel lovers. We want to thank you for joining us on our yachting adventure. And um, we will be coming back to some Yacht Rock in the future. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's there's no way around it. We've set a course we're, and we're setting sail. So, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us again. I think this is your, what, third episode? It is my third. And came out swinging. Just a fantastic episode. Great insight. We appreciate you coming on every single time. Well, let me just say that it is always so much fun to be here, especially to be back in the Winchester. And uh, it's uh, great to be having this conversation with you, as always. And we want to thank our listeners for being there for us. And just remember, like Player said, we just can't live without you. Thanks for listening to Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures.